Hey friends, welcome to the Axiom Church Podcast. We're so glad you decided to join us and check out our episode. Um, this is a space where we post our, our Sunday sermons and occasionally we have discussions and conversations regarding life in this community and following Jesus. So thank you for listening and please engage us on our website axiomchurchaz.com or on any of our social medias. We'd love to hear from you. Take care. Peace be with you. I hope that you are all doing really well this morning. My name is Eric. I'm one of the pastors here at Axiom. Um, I'm just really glad to see each one of you here today. Um, You are here on a particularly exciting day in part because we have baptisms, which is exciting. Yes, you can woo that. Uh, it is also the, uh, the Sunday where we celebrate the reign of Christ, as has already been said too, where we proclaim that He is Lord and sovereign over all the earth. We remind ourselves of that fact as we prepare for Advent. And today too, we are finishing up our series on Leviticus, which is also, yeah, which is also exciting. <laughs> Some of us are maybe glad to be finally through it. Uh, I, if this is your, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> today we are covering, um, we are covering something called atonement, and we're going to talk a little bit about that today in our sermon. But I would say that it is appropriate that when we are talking about atonement today, that it is on the day where we acknowledge the reign of our Lord Jesus Christ. One thing that we have all hoped as we've been working through this series on Leviticus, and I hope it's, become ev- it's been evident to you, but we've been wanting to go through Leviticus as a way of trying to understand and grapple with a difficult text and how we understand it in relationship to the resurrected reality of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Because from the very beginning, the church has understood the, all the Scripture is profitable But all Scripture, every bit of it, in some way, somehow, points to Jesus Christ and the work that He has done. It points to His sovereignty and Lordship. And oftentimes, it can be difficult to parse through how exactly the text points to Jesus. But our confession is that it does point to Jesus, even if it is in sign and representation. We've gone through previous weeks where we've looked at Jesus. He's represented well in the high priesthood, that we are all priests under him and that he is our high priest. We, of course, don't mean that he is literally a priest in the temple, but rather that the temple points the way to Jesus' high priesthood, that he is a transcendent priest represented through the text. In fact, uh, the atoning itself is going to help us think through some of the other ways that Jesus is in fact uh, mirrored, reflected, represented, even as it provides us a path to full restoration in Him. We looked to a text like Leviticus. Yeah, it's kind of a crazy book of like rituals and bloodlettings and cleansings and all this kind of thing. And we might sit back and say as modern Christians, followers of Jesus, what do we make of this difficult series of rituals? It starts to feel like maybe we're presenting, being presented with a laundry list of things that we have to do in order to make ourselves good enough. 
truth of the matter is that while the, while the Israelites were given these rituals by which they engaged with God, we have a new way of engaging with God that is fully, fully embodied in Jesus Christ. That doesn't mean we, we ignore the text of the Old Testament, but rather, as I said, that we reframe it and we understand how Jesus makes sense of what we read. Atonement was something that the Israelites cared a lot about because they understood that they needed something, they were missing something. Atoning, literally the words that, the, that comes from, literally comes from this word, words that mean like unity or being made one. There was a sense in the community of the Israelites that they had been separated from God through things, through behaviors that they called sin, transgression, ways in which they missed the mark of God's perfect reality and plan. God, the creator of all the universe, the maker of the world in which we inhabit, they understood that they had not perfectly reflected God's transcendent reality. And so they needed to atone in some ways to be unified again after being separated. And so these rituals were their way of engaging with God again, of reuniting with Him. But as early Christians understood, and we see this uh, articulated really well in a sermon called the book of Hebrews in chapter 10, verse 1, this law that the Israelites had, the law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming not the realities themselves. For these reasons, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. This preacher in the New Testament is is proclaiming a reality that the Christians understood, that these laws were a shadow of a greater thing, a greater reality that we will see is embodied perfectly in the person of Jesus Christ. And so as we look to Leviticus, we're going to be reading chapter 16 today, and parts of it. As we look to this text, as I read through it, I want to encourage you to be seeking Jesus amidst this, to know that this is the shadow of something much greater, And that much greater thing is Jesus Christ, our Lord. Will you turn with me now to Leviticus chapter 16? I'm going to be jumping around quite a bit, but it should all appear on the screen over there if you don't have a Bible handy. This is how Aaron is to enter the most holy place. And this is Moses being instructed by God. This is how Aaron, the high priest, is to enter the most holy place. He must first bring a young bull for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He is to put on the sacred linen tunic with linen undergarments next to his body. He is to tie the linen sash around him and put on the linen turban. These are sacred garments. So he must bathe himself with water before he puts them on. From the Israelite community, he is to take two male goats 
for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. Then jumping ahead to verse 11, Aaron shall bring the bull of his own sin offering to make atonement for himself and his household. And he is to slaughter the bull for his own sin offering. Then jumping to verse 15, he shall then slaughter the goat for the sin offering for the people and take its blood behind the curtain and do with it as he did with the bull's blood. He shall sprinkle it on the atonement cover in front of it. In this way, he will make atonement for the most holy place because of the uncleanness and rebellion of the Israelites, whatever their sin has been. He is to do the same for the tent of meeting, which is among them in the midst of their, unclean, uh, their uncleanliness. And then jumping to verse 20, when Aaron had finished making atonement for the most holy place, the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall bring forward the live goat. He is to lay both hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the wickedness and rebellion of the Israelites, all their sins, and put them on the goat's head. He shall send the goat away into the wilderness in the care of someone appointed for the task. The goat will carry on itself, will carry on itself all their sins to a remote place and the man shall release it in the wilderness. Poor goat. <laughs> Although I think I'd rather be that second goat than the first goat, if I'm being honest. Wow, I feel like maybe I should have given you all a warning. A lot of blood in this passage. A lot of strange ritual, as I promised. What is it with blood, with uncleanliness? The ways in which the Israelites purified this most holy place, their temple, the place in which they worshiped. It's hard to parse through it all, and I'm not going to try to dive into all the history and meaning that they intended at that time. What we need to focus on here, again, is the presence of Jesus being represented in the text. Where is Jesus present now? We already know from previous weeks that Jesus is sometimes described in the Bible as the high priest whom Aaron in this context is meant to represent. He is the one who goes forward to make the atoning sacrifices, but that's not all that comforting when you think about it. Then you're left with this image of Jesus coming in and him cutting up a bunch of goats. It's a little weird. I want to suggest that there's something more going on here. That the thing, the shadow representing the reality is a lot more beautiful than that. In fact, we see if we return to Hebrews in chapter 10, verse 4, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. And as much as the Israelites desired to cleanse themselves as a result of the bad things that they did, of the sins that occupied their reality, we read here, the author of Hebrews, it is impossible for such a blood to free them. It's suggested that that is perhaps why they had to, they'd perform these rituals year after year because the blood of the bulls and goats actually couldn't free them from their separation. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11, starts unpacking the difficult 
complicated images, I think, of representation to help us see where Jesus' presence is in this Levitical text. In verse 11, but when Christ came as high priest, again, of the good things, you'll remember in in verse 1, the law is only the shadow of the good things, but Christ, he comes as the high priest of the good things that are now already here. He went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, temple that is not made with human hands, that is to say, it is not part of this creation. But here's the thing. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. Jesus, who is God, is not just the one conducting the ceremony, the ritual, the high priest standing over it all, but he is the offering, the sacrifice as well, and it is through his sacrifice and blood that there is an eternal redemption, that we are actually liberated from sin. It is not the blood of bulls and goats, but it is God, Jesus himself, bringing himself to the altar to be given for us. This gets picked up also in Colossians chapter 1 by Paul when he says in verse 19, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, that is Jesus, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Jesus God, as high priest, enters into the world and gives himself to us so that all of creation might be healed, that the divide between God and humanity can be brought into wholeness, to unity, that there might be peace in all of creation. Peter, one of Jesus' closest disciples, he articulates this well in his first letter in chapter 2, verse 24, referring to Jesus, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. And in this remarkable moment we see That Jesus is not just the priest, not just the sacrifice. He's also the scapegoat, the goat on which all of our sins have been placed. He bore those sins for you. Sitting here, they've been placed on him. And so when he is taken outside the city gate, as it were, when he goes onto the cross, dies and sheds his blood, he is doing so making peace, restoring all that has been broken, all the separation of sin, all the ways in which your life has filled off or just not quite right. Jesus, God, has given of himself to heal that which is broken in you because he loves you. 
you sitting here today in this room. He loves you. He's looked at your sins, all of them, because they've been placed on him. He's taken them to himself. He loves you irregardless. As you look back over your life and think about, oh, this didn't go right, that didn't go right. God's not holding those against you because he has taken them into himself and he's given of himself for you out of that love. We no longer have to be afraid. We are no longer burdened by the law, by the shadow of the true good thing because we have seen the fullness of the great good thing which is presided over by our reigning Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, through who all of creation is being restored and reconciled. By his wounds, sisters, brothers, by his wounds, you have been healed. He is the priest who became the sacrifice and has brought unity to us between himself and us. What a great, glorious thing. And is why today we celebrate the reality of Christ's reign because he atoned for what we've done. We're no longer broken. We're unified with God. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we we thank you for your love. We thank you that you have led the way as priest, that you have cleared and cleansed the path, Lord God. That all the mishaps and trials that we've faced on the way, that you have taken those and you are healing them, Lord. You have healed them. That the great good thing that is represented in the text of Leviticus, the great great good thing is already here in our midst, Lord God, because Jesus, you are here in our midst. We no longer have to be afraid, Lord. We're no longer bound to, to ritual, to law, Lord. We are bound to you. We thank you in your name. Amen.